and turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, Old Testament. We're going to look at chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. Let me pray for us as we begin our time of study of God's Word. Lord, we thank you. We pray that, Spirit of God, you would be present in this place, uncovering the Word of God for us, revealing truth, changing our hearts, making us sensitive to your voice. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in the moments ahead as we study your Word because we believe it is fruitful. It is active. It's living. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, guests, welcome. Glad that you're here. Glad everyone's here on this Thanksgiving weekend, but this time where we transition into the season of Advent. Advent is really one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, We are not a liturgical church, as you might have guessed, but there are certain things within the liturgical calendar we love to celebrate. Because it keeps reminding us, it keeps centering us, it keeps bringing us back to a place of looking to the Lord. Advent is, as I said at the beginning of the the service, these four Sundays that precede Christmas that help us celebrate Christmas. But it's so much more than that. Really, the season of Advent is a time of waiting and preparation. It's the season of the now and the not yet. It proclaims that the Lord is coming and yet coming still. We're waiting, we're preparing for the celebration of Christmas Day, which is his first advent, but we're waiting and preparing for the return of Christ, his second advent. But let's admit it, we we are pitiful at waiting. I mean, we live in an age in which waiting is not even seen as any kind of virtue anymore. I I, I mean, just since I was a child, which is getting a little further and further back as uh, time goes along, uh, but since I was a child, things have so radically changed upon which we don't have to wait anymore. We no longer have to wait for food to cook. I mean, we can microwave it. I mean, I was looking, Kathy worked really hard at Thanksgiving and getting the meal together. But I mean, think about 50, 60 years ago. Uh, if you want a cranberry sauce, you had to make some stinking cranberry sauce. It wasn't the can you open. I, I mean, uh, if you want a pumpkin pie, you had to actually get a pumpkin. Uh, if you, you know, I mean, things have changed so much that we force everything into a small amount of time, and then we move on to the next thing. We don't have to wait for food to cook. We don't have to wait at the post office for mail to actually come to my house. I no longer have to wait for Black Friday ads to show up on paper because they're being emailed to me, and there wasn't even such a thing as Black Friday back then. We don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait to actually save the money to buy something because we have instant credit. I can't even begin to imagine how much money was borrowed and for things that were bought this past weekend. We have no idea what delayed gratification even means. 
We don't have to wait. There's an old saying, everything worth having is worth not anymore. Not anymore. We don't have to wait for anything. But for those who cannot wait, who will not wait, the blessing of waiting is lost on us. Because the fulfillment of promise is never theirs. Advent gives us the opportunity to pull out of this trap before it snaps shut on us. It gives us the opportunity to recenter and to understand what it means to wait. These sermons uh, that we're going to have over the days ahead give us the opportunity to reflect on who we are and what has been given to us. It's the message that was proclaimed to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth in which they said, and the angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In the weeks ahead, we want to look at what does it mean that a Savior has been born to you. Not just been born in general, not been born in the kind of generic sense, but the Savior's been born to you, which means his salvation, what he brings when he comes, it applies to you. Today, as we prepare for preparing, I want to look at an Old Testament story in 1 Samuel about hearing from God and answering the call of God. I want to kick off the season by looking at a very familiar Bible story. If you were raised in the church, this is probably one of the earliest Bible stories you ever heard. It talks about the call of Samuel, the call of Samuel. Let me give you a little background uh, just to kind of run into it, and then we're going to look at it, and let's just have fun looking at God's Word, because I believe looking at God's Word can actually be fun. Amen? It doesn't have to be a drudgery. It doesn't have to be lifeless. It can actually be fun. So let's have a good time looking at the Word of God and let it speak to our hearts through the power of the Spirit this morning. Backing up, the nation of Israel came out of Egypt after being in captivity for hundreds of years. They wandered through the desert for 40 years. They enter the land under the leadership of Joshua, conquering the land. Then Joshua died. And there enters this period of time after Joshua's death when the nation of Israel was supposed to look to God as their king. They were supposed to. He'd given them the tabernacle. He'd given them the law. He'd given them the sacrificial system. Now he said, look, come and worship me. When you stumble and fall, here's a system to take care of your sins Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to lead you into battle. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you all of these things if you'll keep your eyes on me. But if you don't keep your eyes on me and start worshiping the gods of this land or turning your back on me, then here are a list of bad things that are going to happen to you. The nation of Israel, being human, being sinful, being unable to keep their eyes fixed on God, keep lowering their gaze. I know he's there, but wow, this looks pretty good. So they keep turning their back on God. So God does what he says he's going to do because 
That's what God does. He, his, all his promises are yes and amen, meaning the good ones and the other ones. So they turn their back on God, and after a period of time, God lets them wander around forsaking him, really, worshiping other gods, but then he brings a discipline on them. And the discipline that he brings on them is usually some other pagan nation, some other nation that he then brings to oppress the people. The people then start crying out to God, Oh, Lord, help. Help us. Now, there's so much. I preached on Judges before. I love the book of Judges. But isn't it interesting that God will use the things that are not of him as if they are from him? I mean, he'll use the pagan. He'll use what looks like godless to bring judgment on the people of God. I think it still carries through at times that God will do that. He'll allow things in our lives to bring us back to a point of him, with him. So anyway, that's not what this sermon is about, but it's a good point. And so the people cry out to him. God raises up a deliverer who then defeats the enemy. And for a period of time, the people worship God, usually a short period of time. And usually just for the time that the deliverer is alive. Then when he dies, things start to wane away, and they enter this cycle all over again. The person, the deliverer that they bring up, is a person who's called a judge. It's an interesting phrase, a judge. And the whole book of Judges is about this period of time. The period of time between when Joshua dies and the first king of Israel, Saul, comes into being is about 350 years. So over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges, you see this cycle of looking to God, straying from God, discipline from God, a deliverer from God, worshiping God, repeat the cycle. Wash and repeat. Wash and repeat. The final judge is the one we're going to look at today. His story begins with his mother, Hannah. Hannah is a woman who's married to a man who has another wife, who has children. She has no children. She comes to the tabernacle. Remember, the temple has not been built yet. The tabernacle is still the tent. The tent. The tent, by the way, if you think about it, it is an old tent by now. It's been around for almost 400 years um, since they wandered in the wilderness. All that period of time, it's the same tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, which contains the Ten Commandments, the budding rod, the different aspects, manna. It's the Ark of the Covenant uh, symbolizing the presence of God, which is in the middle of the tabernacle. Hannah comes to the house of God, the tabernacle, and she cries out to God that he would give her a son, There's an old priest who's alive still, a guy by the name of Eli. Eli sees Hannah, thinks she's drunk, but she's crying out to God. Anyway, through the whole story, Hannah, she says, God, if you just give me a son, I will give him back to you as a servant in your house. God hears the cry of Hannah, hears the prayer of Hannah, and he blesses her, and he gives her a son. So at the age of three... Hannah brings this little boy back to the temple to be raised by Eli, to be raised in the house of the Lord. And it says that every year she would 
she would bring an ephod, which is like an undergarment that the priest wore, shirtless undergarment, and a robe. Can you imagine this little five-year-old boy wandering around in his little robe and his little ephod that his mom made for him, serving in the house of the Lord over a period of time? Eli, the priest, the high priest, has two sons. Their names are Hophni and Phinehas, and they are wicked men. They uh, take the sacrifices off the altar and either use them or sell them. They're sleeping with women in the temple, the tabernacle court. They are desecrating the things of God. They're getting drunk in the tabernacle. There's a list of things that Hophni and Phinehas are doing. These sons of Eli... In 1 Samuel 2, this unnamed prophet shows up and says, hey, God is going to kill you and take away from the priesthood, from the house of Eli, because Eli, you haven't restrained your sons, and these guys are unrepentant. Samuel is being raised up, and the prophet says that another is going to take your place. Now, that man that's going to take the place of Eli is this little boy, Samuel. But Samuel, though he knows religious things, does not yet know God. Listen to me again. He knows religious things, but he doesn't know God. And so God wants to call him out and make him sensitive to his voice and entrust him with the things that he wants to entrust him with. And so what we see here in 1 Samuel 3, in this call of Samuel, is how God speaks to him, how he responds, and how God entrusts. By the way, this is a pattern that God wants in our lives as well. God wants to speak to us. God wants us to hear and to receive. He wants us to step out in faith with the words he's given us so that he can in turn entrust us with more. And just to give you a heads up on where I'm heading, this is a prototype. This is an early call of what Jesus is going to come to do in our lives. So as we're looking at Advent, this call of Samuel, this sensitivity to the voice of God, we're going to lead back into it as who Jesus is in our lives. Okay, you ready? 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, talks about first the rarity of God's word. The rarity of God's word. It says in verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Samuel is at this point somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12. Eli is the priest, and Samuel is in the place of ministry and service to the old guy. Samuel's been growing in favor with the Lord. Even though he doesn't really know God at this point, he's been growing in favor with the Lord and with the people around him, serving in the temple and he stands in stark contrast to the evil of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. And even though Eli has failed in the raising of his own sons, God has entrusted young Samuel to the same guy. Isn't that interesting how God will do that sometimes? He never, he never, our, our failures, though they are There's going to bring a judgment. There's going to be a fruit from it. God still is able to use us if we're willing and still sensitive to him. It's this interesting phrase. It says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. 
serves as a backdrop to this call of Samuel and talks about the general spiritual condition of the nation at that time. Hey, by the way, notice what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say there were, there were no religious activities at this time. Uh, yeah. I mean, they were very active doing all the religious stuff, but God was not in it because their hearts were not in it. They were just going through the motions. There was a lot of activity. Listen, the difference between the presence of the Lord and spiritual activity is the difference to me between life and death. And we'll see that in this story being carried out. Don't ever confuse going to church with being the church. Don't ever confuse taking the Lord's table receiving him unto ourselves with something somebody told us a long time ago we had to do. There's a major difference, and they're going through the activity. And, and I don't believe it's not because God didn't want to speak to them. I believe God wanted to speak to them. He was there wanting to speak to them, but they were so busy doing their religious stuff that they weren't really willing to hear. Their hearts weren't right. Listen, I want to say this clearly and up front. I believe we have to be willing to hear from God. We have to desire to hear from God. I believe God still speaks. I'll say it again. I believe God still speaks. There is... um, Believe it or not, a large segment of the church that doesn't believe that God still speaks. They believe God spoke when his word was completed, the Bible. He then just said, here, this is it, I'm done. I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but not much. And believe God went silent until Christ returns. Now listen, I believe, I believe God speaks through his word. But how does God speak through his word? I believe God speaks through his word. It's called illumination. It's like revelation illumination. And that's kind of the theological terms that are used. But the only way God's word can be illumined to us is by the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has to uncover the word of God so that it becomes life to us. Otherwise, it's just word. I mean, haven't you ever read the Word of God where you're reading it and you're like, ho, where has this been? Something gets uncovered, your heart gets illumined. Things come on, light bulbs go off, and you're like, I've read this story a hundred times. Why? Why now? Because the Spirit of God has uncovered it for you. Something is sensitive in you to the voice of God revealing the Word of God to you. Starting in January, by the way, we're going to enter into a two-year project where we're going to read the Bible through together, the Word of God, for two years. For two years. We're going to give you the Bible reading. We're going to give you devotions that are, have been written by D.A. Carson. There's a blog site. You'll be able to go to it. You'll have your reading for the day, the devotion for the day, and we're going to do it together. And I'm asking you to join in on this. 
You'll hear more about it in the days ahead because I think a lot of us need the Word of God permeating our lives. Now, here's two ways this can go. This can go as a religious exercise where you're doing it because I've asked you to do it and told you to do it, and you're just doing it. I'm sure somewhere something might happen because the Word of God is powerful. But what I'm asking you to do is to give your heart to this and say, Spirit of God, as I do this, open up your word to me. Let it become life to me. You're, you're putting yourself, and I, I'm borrowing this um, illustration from Foster's um, in Celebration of Discipline. He talks about spiritual disciplines as us walking along this precipice. And on one side is the, the legalism that says, I have to do this. And on the other side is license, so to speak, saying, like, I really don't have to do anything because God's going to do everything. Uh, and, and on this precipice that we're walking, trying to do what God, the disciplines of God, and hear from God, we put ourselves in a position where God can still speak. God will talk to us as we walk along it. We are tempted to fall into the legalistic side. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. If I don't tithe, God's going to break my refrigerator kind of mentality. (laughs) Or on the other side to say, I don't really have to do anything. I don't really need to share my faith because God's going to do what God's going to do. Listen, the word of God is spiritual disciplines are we are participating with God for his glory, so that we can hear from him. We just finished this study on 1 John, where we've talked about this over and over and over again, but hopefully we'll, we'll get it. In, in Samuel's time, the word of God was rare. He didn't speak that often because people didn't want to listen. God still speaks through his word. I believe God speaks through dreams. God speaks through visions. God speaks. On the day of Pentecost, I'm going to just end with this. Maybe I'll come back to it next year sometime when we have time. But in Acts 2, Peter, quoting from Joel 2, says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. What days? The last days. Now, the last days to me wasn't the 150 to 200 years between when Jesus came and the Bible was finished. The last days is everything that happened from when Christ left to when Christ returns. We're in the last days. We are the sons and daughters. We have the ability to hear from God. God, Now, let me just say this. God is never going to speak contrary to his word. He's not going to do it. So if you have a vision that says, hey, God told me to leave my wife and go with this secretary. No, he didn't. (laughs) No, he didn't. He didn't do it. Why? Because it runs contrary to his word about honoring marriage and the marriage bed being undefined. I mean, God's not going to tell you something to do that runs contrary to his word but it doesn't mean he's still, he's gone silent. The word of God was rare. Is it rare in this day? 
I believe, unfortunately, it probably is. It's not, this is my own take, I believe it's increasing. But I believe that many of us go around our daily activities not even thinking that we can hear from God. All right, I'm going to move on because i got three more points. Second point is this, the revelation of God's word. Let's just walk through the passage. In the midst of this atmosphere of sin and darkness, the word of the Lord comes forth to this 8, this 10 to 12-year-old boy. Remember, he's 10 to 12. He's a young man. Verse 2 of chapter 3 says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. By the way, Eli's eyes are weak because he's just old. But he's lying, wherever he's lying, it's somewhere in the tabernacle area, but it's not in the tabernacle itself. Verse 3 says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. There's a, there's a lamp that was lit in the tabernacle that just stayed on, and then eventually the oil burns out. Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, I, I could stop and just talk about this for a long time. This 10 to 12-year-old boy is sleeping before the ark of God. The ark of God represents what? The presence of God. Ark of God represents the presence of God. Samuel stayed in the presence of God. Now, was it just his duty or his obligation? They said, hey, boy, sleep here. This is your spot to stay right here. It could be. Whatever. It may have been his assignment to stay in this presence. It could be that that's where his heart was. Even though he didn't really know the Lord from what we can tell, it may be that this was his heart. Do you remember Joshua? Where did Joshua used to sleep? Do you remember? Trivia question. He used to sleep at the t- tabernacle entrance. I mean, there's this precedent for people, young men, who are looking to follow God's will, saying, I'm staying right here. I'm going to stay here in the presence of God until I figure out, until something happens. God honors that. Verse 4, it says this, Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. The Lord calls. Um, Samuel's sleeping, but... And Samuel responds, but as you know the story, he does, he's not saying, here I am to God. He thinks it's Eli who's calling him. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Samuel thinks it's the old guy Eli calling him, so he rushes into the room and says, hey, here I am. Now, as I get older, the last thing I want is a 10 or 12-year-old running into my room saying, here I am, if I haven't called them, right? I mean, so you can imagine, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Going back. So he goes back. But then it happens again. Verses 6 and 7. And again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call Go back and lie down. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel's destined to become someone great. But at this point, it says he does not know the voice of the Lord. 
and maybe, as I said, not even the Lord himself. Then it happens a third time. Third time the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Oh man, this has got to get annoying by now. But Eli realizes that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The, the, the story is so fun. I mean, Eli, after the third time, realizes, uh, honestly, if this was my child, you just go to bed. But Eli is so sensitive at this point, he says, it's not me. And Samuel is not a liar. He's a truthful boy. He's already seen some, I think, some element of character in his life where he says he's hearing something and it ain't me and no one else is calling him. Must be the Lord. We don't know if Eli really ever heard from the Lord. We don't know that he's sensitive to the voice of the Lord, but he recognizes enough at this point that he can guide Samuel in the right direction. Verse 10, the Lord came and stood there. Isn't that a graphic picture? This is not just some voice out of the dark. This is the presence of God. I mean, the ark of the God, God is there, the presence of God. This is the presence of God calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. It's a fourth time the Lord calls Samuel, and Samuel responds by saying what Eli had told him to say. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Like Job, Samuel had heard about the Lord, but he never heard from the Lord. Job said, hey, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It's a major paradigm shift from hearing about the Lord versus experiencing the Lord for ourselves. Everybody in junior high and middle school and high school, listen to me right now. It is one thing for your parents to tell you about the Lord. It is a totally different thing for you to know the Lord. Our prayer is not to teach you cute Bible stories. It is not our goal for you to have Bible knowledge when you go away to college. Our goal is that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By knowing the truth, I mean knowing. Not knowing about, but rather knowing. Like Samuel, to be able to experience God, hear his voice for ourselves. Thomas Akempis, who is a, one of the great Christian fathers, wrote a famous book called The Imitation of Christ. And in, his, in it he says, Speak, Lord for thy servant heareth. Let not Moses speak unto me, nor any of the prophets, but rather do thou speak, O Lord God, the inspirer and enlightener of all the prophets. For thou alone without them canst perfectly instruct me, but they without thee can profit nothing. Speak thou unto me to the comfort however imperfect of my soul and to the amendment of my whole life and to thy praise and glory and honor everlasting. What a great prayer. Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Moses, the prophets, 
Them without you is nothing. But you without them can still perfectly instruct me. He's not saying unload the Bible. He's just saying, Lord, it's got to be from you. The Spirit of God has got to enlighten the Word of God for it to become life to us. How often do we go into God's Word and say, Lord, speak for your servant is listening? To me, it's the whole difference between trying to get knowledge and hear from the Lord. Knowledge isn't bad. But it's just not life in the long run. Children's personality, children's television personality, Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Uh, Mr. Rogers, was also, if you didn't know, an ordained minister. He once said this. He said, I remember so keenly one of the times I learned how individually the Spirit can work. It was years ago, and my wife and I were worshiping in a little church with friends of ours, another husband and wife. We were on vacation, and I was in the middle of my homiletics course at the time. That's about dissecting the Word of God and preaching. During the sermon, I kept ticking off every mistake I thought the preacher, who must have been 80 years old, was making. This is a curse of those who've gone to seminary and school as we... Don't hear what's true, we hear what's wrong. He goes on and says, When this interminable sermon finally ended, I turned to my friend intending to say something critical about the sermon. I stopped when I I can't, first of all, I can't even imagine Mr. Rogers being critical. Uh, But this was when he was young. He says, I stopped when I saw the tears running down her face. She whispered to me, he said exactly what I needed to hear. He said, that was really a seminal experience for me. I was judging and she was needing. And the Holy Spirit responded to need, not to judgment. Why is it so often we can't hear? Because we're so stinking judgmental. You know, you cannot hear if you're judging I believe that's one of the truths. You really, if you're standing in a position of judging, being critical, you're speaking out of a wrong spirit, and it is hard to hear in that condition. Samuel receives the revelation of God. Listen to what Samuel gets. Listen to the word of God. First word from the Lord to Samuel is this. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone hear about it tingle. Okay, everyone's going to get some tingle in their ears. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Whoo. 10 to 12-year-old boy, first word from God. There's nothing positive in this about everything's going to be great, the revival's coming, the Lord, you know. The word he gets is, I'm going to make, this is going to make everybody know that I'm the one who's speaking. 
Eli and his house are going to be wiped out. Think about it. It is a word against the man you're closest to. Your leader, your mentor, the one who's training you. He and his family are condemned because he refused to restrain his sons. Parents, I don't really want to go here about restraining your children. But God sees something in the training of our children that is important. Don't you think? I'm not trying to be legalistic, but maybe we should give a little more attention. But focusing on this, if you're Samuel 10 to 12, he's like, is this what every word from God's going to be like? He receives the revelation. It's a terrible word which tests this young boy. Look at the third point. And I'll move through these last two a little more quickly. The response to God's word. What's the response to God's word? going to be Samuel's been obedient to open and close, to put oil in things, to clean up. But now, this type of obedience is different. It calls for faith. It's not just work, it's faith. Here's what happens in verses 15 through 18. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. A couple of points about this, and I'm going to move on. Notice what Samuel doesn't do. He doesn't hop up in the morning and run out and tell everybody about, hey, I got a vision from God last night. Doesn't always work that well. Reference Joseph. (laughs) About sharing, maybe before you're supposed to share. He's afraid to tell Eli for a number of reasons, I think. But I I think ultimately he probably doesn't want to hurt Eli. Shows a lot of character of Samuel, even at an early age. Shows the seeds of integrity and humility and purity which God can use. Eli is the one who asks and says, what did God say? He probably saw the reluctance on Samuel's face and says, hey, God's going to deal with you severely if you don't tell me everything he told you. So Samuel tells him everything. And Eli says, he's the Lord. Let him do what's good in his sight. This prophetic word given by Samuel, it's a confirmation of a word that's already come, by the way. I, I referenced it earlier. In 1 Samuel 2, this unnamed prophet shows up and has already said it. Now Samuel is... The second who has come to Eli with this word. A couple of things about how to respond to the word of the Lord. It's critical. First, if you're the one who receives the word directly from God, namely Samuel, if you feel like you've heard something from God, we need some level of wisdom about how to share it, when to share it, who to share it with. Is this for me? Is this for others? Obviously, this is a word about Eli, but Samuel has to hear from God about how to share that that word 
Listen, not every word we receive from God is even meant to be shared. Paul in 2 Corinthians said, I got a vision from the Lord, but I'm not free to share it. He told me I can't tell you. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I've always thought that was funny. I, it'd be hard for me. Here's a word directly from God, but oh, by the way, you can't tell anyone. In some ways, it's kind of funny that Paul even told us he couldn't tell us. He just wanted us to know, I think. I, I'm hearing from God, but I can't tell you what. Anyway, we need wisdom on how to share the word that's directly given to us. Samuel is obedient. He shares exactly what God tells with him with Eli. But there's also the one who receives the word from the one who received. Are you with me? Eli, in this case. He didn't hear directly from God. He's hearing from the one who did hear from God. And he says, he's the Lord. Whatever he says goes. Listen, we need to be sensitive to how we hear from God. 1 John 4, we looked at this passage not long ago. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to be able to hear from God. And at times, someone's going to come and say, you know, I had a vision, a dream, a something, and you were in it, and here it is. Listen, test it. Take it before God. Don't just receive it, but don't be rude about it or critical about it, but just say, I'm going to take God's God. I'm going to take it before him and try and hear from him. The response of our hearing from God and hearing from those who've heard from God is very, very important. If we're going to be a people who believes that God still speaks. Result of God's word. Final point. Verses 19 and following. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's words came to all Israel. Samuel becomes a prophet of the Lord. Samuel's mother, Hannah, gave him to the Lord. Samuel was serving in the presence of the Lord. But Samuel has to hear from the Lord for himself. He has to experience his presence. In order to become what God wants him to become, he has to hear, be obedient, hear, be obedient, hear, be obedient. A constant moving forward. But look what it says about him. I would love for the, the Lord to say this about me. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. None of them. What a great description of the man of God. Samuel's life is a picture of consistent, obedient growth. He's not like the sons of Eli. He, he doesn't despise the things of God. He so loves the God, that he's obedient even in the hard things to share what he's supposed to share and follow them out. As a result, the entire country, this heathen, really, I mean, the people of God, they're supposed to be, but they're not. The word of God was rare, but then this guy, Samuel, comes on the scene, and even they recognize this guy has got it going on. This guy is a prophet of God, and they listen to him. 
The result of God's call on your life, if you're obedient to follow what he tells you to do, it's going to be evident to others. Not that you're not going to have hard times or it's not going to be persecution, but others will see the fruit of you following God's call in your life. Samuel goes on and does great things. If you Just read chapter 4. Read chapter 4 to see all that happens in Samuel's life. The Ark of the Covenant is captured in chapter 4 by the Philistines. The Philistines steal it. Hophni, Phinehas killed in battle. Eli gets a word that his sons had both died on the same day. He falls out of his rocking chair and dies. Breaks his neck. Samuel becomes the high priest. He goes out in battle and captures the Ark back. He takes it back from where it has been stolen. He turns the hearts of the people to God. In other words, if you look at Samuel's life, he becomes a prophet, a priest, and really he functions in the form of a king as the last judge. He is, in many ways, a picture of the one who's going to come A thousand years from now, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. So when we see the scripture that says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. What kind of Savior are we talking about? We're talking about a Savior who's a prophet, a priest, and a king. And that Savior prophet, priest, and king Jesus is going to implant his power and presence, the person of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we too have the ability to be prophets, priests, and kings. We're described as all of those in the New Testament. Who Jesus is is who we're to become. Who Samuel was. And that's why I think Samuel's call and his sensitivity serves as a great example to us this morning. As we look to the season of Advent, as we're waiting on the Lord, what are we waiting for? Wait, hear, listen. Step out in obedience to what God has spoken to us. During the season of Advent, in the days ahead, My prayer for us is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As you go from this place today, here's what I would pray that you would be praying. You would be saying to God, Lord, talk to me. Speak to me. I'm going to wait in your presence as you hear, as I listen. A couple of key factors here. Number one you got to give time to waiting and hearing. This is not a microwave word, right? This is not a credit card. I'm going to borrow against the future word. This is not an Instagram word. This is getting yourself in the presence of the Lord to hear from him. Use these next four weeks to reorient yourself a little bit as we celebrate Christmas, head into the new year to try and hear from God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, we thank you.
for the example of Samuel and pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts and our lives in the days ahead. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We glory in you. Lord, I I acknowledge today that I get so stinking busy that I forget to stop and listen. Forgive me. Lord, during these days ahead, help me. To pause, to hear, to respond to you. Help that become truth for all of us here today. May we be living recipients of the word of God. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. Spirit of God, move among us. Right now as we pray for one another, for those who need healing, God, touch them and heal heal them. For those who need to hear from you, I pray, God, that you would either speak to them or point them in a way that they can be prepared to hear from you in the days ahead. For those who need a lifting of a burden, I pray for freedom to occur right now. Lord, as we pray, Lord, move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up.